Well, welcome back to a special episode of Sheep Stuff You Should Know. This is Ryan Mahoney coming to you from Rio Vista, California, and we're joined today with a special guest, uh, guest host, Dan Makins, out on vacation, traveling the traveling the seven seas, looking for colleges for his daughter and avoiding disease. And so today we got, uh, I have Joe Fisher here um, joining us. You want to give a quick introduction on, as to who you are and and I yeah, know you're, sure. I know this you're not beef. You're not all sheep. You're mostly beef, but I do know you have a connection to sheep. So it'd be good to drop that, give you some street. Yeah, I'll try to figure out how I, we did have a big dispersal sale last fall, but I got to <laughs> ask real quick, am I, am I the first guest post to not have facial hair other than Dan's mishap with the razor <laughs> a couple weeks ago? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you and I would out. have it if I could, by the way. The best I could do is the epic sideburns, but the mustache deal, I, isn't it funny how your facial hair starts to define you? Like seriously, you know, I mean, it, I don't want to take your whole podcast off the rails right from the beginning, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like uh, it, it doesn't change who you are, but uh, Dan's a great friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for for over a decade now, and and I'd never seen him without facial hair. And it it doesn't define him, but you associate with him. It's rather interesting, and and I can't imagine what it must feel to be a person that has facial hair and then gets rid of it or decides to grow it. And it doesn't change who you are, but it certainly changes how people yeah. uh, recognize you, I guess I'd say. For sure. I've made it my life mission to keep people on their toes. So I'm always <laughs> changing it and it throws everybody off because I'll meet somebody in some context and I'll have, I'll be clean shaven and then I'll grow out a beard for the next six months and I'll see them and they won't even recognize me. And it's funny how it actually relates to the face coverings and masks that everybody is wearing and how much you associate knowing somebody with just their nose and mouth and face structure. Like you, it's really amazing how many people that you know that you don't recognize because they just have something covering their face. They're walking the same, their eyes are the same, you see all that, but you just, you can't, you can't put that name to the face until you actually see the face. It's pretty amazing how how much knowledge of another person really comes from that, that gesture. I, absolutely. And I noticed that I was, I was doing some work at the bank. We, uh, we sold a pickup to a private party and we're doing work at the credit union for this guy. And, and uh, I really noticed I struggled understanding what the, the bank officer, the loan officer was trying to talk to me about because we read so much into people's facial, facial uh, impressions. We, we read lips. I mean, it's yeah. all, we do so much more than just listen to the audio of what's coming out of their, their mouth, which is going to be problematic for some of your listeners that have to look at this for yeah. the next minutes. Well, we but have more listeners on the podcast than viewers on the YouTube. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, um, about who I am, um, I'd be 36 years old. My name is Joe Fisher. You mentioned that. Uh, didn't want to waste the extra seconds, but I guess I'll just go there anyway. I grew up in the small town in Calaveras County, a town called Paloma, California, as one stop sign um, just outside of Valley Springs. Graduated high school in 2001, uh, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo studying animal science, graduated there in 2005, met the love of my life, my wife there in 2003, I believe it was. We got married in 2005, um, moved up to Bruin Ranch then, and uh, of course when I was at Poly, I was at a, involved in a whole host of different things, the enterprise projects and, and uh, different clubs and things to try to learn as much as I could down there and try to develop as many different uh relationships within the business and the agricultural business, I guess I should say, not just cattle. 
Um, moved up to Auburn on June the 11th, and June the 15th of this year, I had my 15th anniversary of working for Bruin Ranch. Um, purebred Angus operation. We started out, we had a few Charlotte cows. Um, we've honed it into kind of a specific type of Angus cow. We, we breed our cows to mostly suit commercial cattlemen. And on the fringes, we've been really fortunate and had some different seed stock operations come to us searching for something. But if you ask my goals and aspirations of our program, and we'll get into this later. I mean, we've got our discussion points to get to, but um, I feel bad when you say, who are you? And I'm like using my job to define me. But we'll get there in a little bit. Um, you know, though, it, it's it's fast. That's one thing I really love about agriculture, and, and and you really see it in this COVID world where everybody's a lot of businesses have been shut down. But really, so much of your identity as a person is put together in what you do, and and uh, at least for me, like you know, a, a big part of who I am is the ranch and is what we're doing, and um, and it gets back to that knowing somebody a lot. You know them from their work, and you see the commitment and the values and things. And, and that does kind of lead in. So our topic today is actually going to be raising ranching families. And you mentioned 15 years in Auburn. How long have you been married to your wife? 15 years, 15 years. Yeah. We got married on August the 6th, 2005. Nice. Uh, so we're, we're September 6th, 2006. So we, right? yeah, we're one year behind you, one year behind you. But uh, yeah. And then, and Bruin Ranch, purebred, purebred Angus operation for the most part? Purebred Angus operation. Um, I forgot probably, um, other than being the husband to a fantastic woman, um, probably my most important part to share is I'm a father of four children. Um, have three sons and a daughter. Bennett would be 13, going to be 14 in July. Um, Miles, I believe, is 11. This is where it gets sticky. Uh, Paxton is 9, going to be 10. And Meredith uh, just turned 8 in May. So we've got our hands full. It's an exciting time in our lives and watching those guys grow. And, and uh, it's a little melancholy time of our lives too, right? Because you, you get to see in agriculture at least, and, and you mentioned this about what's unique in our career. I suppose you could find, and, and maybe you'll have a, a, a listener on the YouTube plug-in or something, that there's probably a mechanical engineer somewhere that takes his occupation um, – in as being part of his identity too, or her identity, and and probably it would be hard for me to define that because I'm not a mechanical engineer. But I know that in agriculture we get so immersed in what we're doing that um, sometimes we neglect to appreciate the roses that we've been smelling all along the way. And and I, I don't I don't say that that we didn't stop and smell the roses, but in agriculture you can relate. Maybe Ryan, do you get what I'm trying to say? Where we're smelling roses all the time. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a great occupation and it's, we can get into this further, but we but, choose this lifestyle and this occupation and it comes at a cost. It's very expensive to choose to raise your family in agriculture. And where I come to that expense is because we could have chose to have a more lucrative um, position or lucrative uh, uh, line of work. And, and we chose agriculture for its benefits. So I guess I'd, I'd throw back to you, why did you, as a religious studies major, choose agriculture? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've dropped that bomb on the podcast listener world. That my my, I went to college and I majored in religious studies of all things, and then I ended up going back to work for the ranch. And that's a whole story for another day, probably. But it was a, yeah, it. it I, I know what you're getting at, and and really like agriculture. It's hard work, long hours, and, and thin margins, especially compared to service industry jobs and, 
and uh, different things like that. You look at the vacation times and things of, of different, um, you know, uh, government employee type situations. They have some really lucrative benefits and, 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 and that doesn't, that's not the, the, um, disparaging any of those careers. Those are very good careers and necessary for productive society. But um, in agriculture, you choose this profession because of the lifestyle that allows you. And one of the main drivers for me really is, is the opportunity to raise my children with the values that kind of surround agriculture. And, um, and they're, they're, they're just, it's very family centric. You need everybody to pitch in. We're all part of the team, and and you really see the full cycle of life. You you know you you experience wonder, you experience beauty. Driving out onto the you drive from downtown you drive from Roseville to downtown Sacramento every day. You don't see those sunrises that you see when you're headed up to go gather cattle in the foothills, or when you're driving out to the through the wind turbines in the afternoon and the sunset. I mean. The, you know, the, the experiences that we get in agriculture, we're so, so blessed, so fortunate to be able to have. And, and really that's probably the biggest driver for me in why I chose this career is, is that, uh, well, it kind of chose me, but then also, you know, just being able to let my children experience that is, is something that a lot of kids don't get to do. So and you don't turn it on and you don't turn it off. I mean, but no, no, uh, you go on vacation and you look for sheep or cattle. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and you just heard about me going to Montana and this big yeah. family trip and we were going to see all this cool stuff like Clarkston and where we actually went um, between COVID and snow, they had a lot of limited services and, and we could get it. That could be a whole nother podcast, right? Yeah, traveling of, uh, in COVID. <laughs> yeah. And how, and how our government chooses to regulate things. I mean, uh, but it made it very challenging, but we kept going back to, it was 3,080 miles in six days. And we kept going back to we're together, but we're together, but we're together. And so did we have an individual experience? Experience that we can put the highlighter and say we checked this box no absolutely not we didn't have that we didn't have that but we were together and we got to experience things together and and you know the one point you touched on I'd like to re-highlight because I don't know the demographic of folks we're talking to if they're from the same as us I think this will resonate but if they're different I think it's important that people know you learn about failure and you learn about success in a real world um, life and death manner I mean, uh, our children will learn what it's like to work your butt off to get something to live that didn't want to live for one reason or another, an unfortunate accident or just what's happening in, in life and in livestock. And they'll have the disappointment of it not working out, but then they'll have the success of it working out sometimes too. And just being a servant, I think, of agriculture. I mean, you, once you embody this role of a, of a steward of land and a steward of livestock, I really think that it puts you in more of a servant's role in the community. Um, you're a servant to those cattle. And, and I don't want to say that um, I've made our whole marketing line on our cattle work for us, not the other way around, but there's a fine line between quality animal husbandry and then quality environmental adaptation of livestock. And, and I think that we try to do a good job of balancing that here at Bruin Ranch. And, and the benefit of that is my children get to see that on display. They get to see me so excited with the things we've done and they get to see me disappointed and it's okay yeah. to be disappointed, right? The only way we really learn is from our failures. So yeah. how have you experienced that in the sheep deal? I'm sure very, very 
parallel to me. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. My kids, when we're lambing, is probably the best example. They love taking care of the bum lambs, and I always ask. I'll ask them a lot of times too. I'm like, why do you want to spend your time on the bum lambs? You know, look at these beautiful, healthy ones over here. You don't want to adopt one of those, but they take all of those bum lambs or bonus lambs, and they, um, you know, they 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 name them and they take time with them, and you know, they have you know, they have a couple of them die on them and, and it's hard for them. And I've had them cry in the car after one of them dies or something like that. And they want to know why. And, but it's those real world experiences that really shape and prepare them to deal with real life challenges in the future. And I think, absolutely, I think you see a lot of it in today's, when you, when you go into the world today, you see a lot of people that really haven't seen that experience. And so they have an idealistic version of the, I don't know of the reality of things and it, and it actually is a handicap when they go into, um, into, into, into business, into the real world, into experiences and, and it's a lot of struggles. And so if, if you can open them up and have them experience those things, it's not, you don't want them to work in a rendering factory when they're 12. That's a terrible, terrible thing. (laughs) But if, you know, if you can go out on the ranch and you see those successes and you see those failures and you, can teach them and they learn from that, which is what we need to do is continually learn. I, our, our saying, one of our sayings in the companies or mantras is we, you know, we, you can make mistakes, just don't make the same mistake twice. We always have to be learning. Be, if you make a mistake, tell me it's great. We're excited. I'm excited. I'm sad that you made a mistake or I'm sad of what happened, but I'm really proud of the fact that we made a mistake, looked at what, what caused it and then took change to fix it. So it never happened again. And those kind of things are really what we, what we need to do that are, that are, that agriculture provides an opportunity. So on on your kids, um, how involved are your kids kind of in their daily work and then how do you use them? And, and then the other question with that is how old do they become helpful? (laughs) So, um, how old when they become helpful? Um, that's a challenging one. I, and this is going to sound bad, but you're going to get it unfiltered for me. That's just the way it is. That's and, why um, you're here, man. <laughs> you won't have a seven second delay or anything, but, but it will be unfiltered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had the rule that I wouldn't take kids until they were out of diapers. Yeah. And um, just because there was a whole host of things that came along with it. I mean, I didn't really explain my nature of employment, but I, I actually work for a family in Sacramento, a venture capitalist family. And over that 15 years, I've, I've gained their respect and trust that, or earned their respect and trust. And, and they're actually, um, they've defined me as a cattle partner now, and they're helping me purchase the cows, which is a fantastic opportunity. And, and you talk about another display of, of uh, real life for your children to see as, you know, big wealthy landowner and um, employer and what they actually provide back to the community and to the people that work hard for them. I mean, I've been extremely blessed with that family, but my children, I've always felt like um, since, especially since I'm working for this family, when I'm working steady for somebody, I need to be able to unimpededly do my job. And um, if I ever had to take that break um, to, to tend to more, more fatherly duties uh, of diapers or something, it wasn't appropriate. Now, I'll take the kids um, whenever I think there's opportunity for them to be successful. Uh, I, uh, to be frank, when I was younger, I was put in a lot of situations where I was my folks only hope. My dad had three jobs. Um, did I say hope? I meant to say help. 
but anyways, from five years old, I was basically the hired man. And um, it created a relationship that, that really I wanted nothing to do with the cattle. There was no off pedal on the accelerator, no brakes. I mean, it was like, okay, good. We, got, we did a good job today and we got done. So let's do more. And yeah. I never wanted to do that with my kids. I always try to keep them hungry. I really try to keep them hungry. And so if I knew that I'm in a situation, I know I'm in a situation where we're going to be vaccinating cattle and it's a very controlled situation, I'll pepper them in. Now, having said that, last year I had some employees um, had to leave. I, I only employ two guys. And I could talk about that later, but it's not important with family values. Although when you do get employees, if you're a family operation, those folks have to share the same family values as you have, or you can get in a lot of trouble, at least in my opinion. Um, so last year, actually, when those employees left, um, they both left to make a lot more money and I can't blame them. And, and for a lot, probably physically less demanding jobs. Um, but anyways, the average employee age that I had last summer was I think 15.6. So obviously my 13 year old drug it down and we took a couple interns and it was a great time in my life. Um, Bennett was, he, no, he wasn't 13 because it was last summer. He turned 13. So he was 12 turning 13. He's 13 turning four now. Um, I drop him off and he was in charge of irrigating places and um, I, he didn't have a phone or anything and I'd send employees to check on him every once in a while and he did a great job and he figured out his own way to do it. And, it's sort of like back to your learning how to fail thing. It's so important to teach our children how to fail because I, I say the same thing in our employees. I, I don't want them to make the same mistake twice, but I don't want them fearful to make mistakes yeah. because if they're fearful to make mistakes, then we just have robots. And when things go cattywampus, robots can't think. All they know is put this in here. And I want people to think critically and draw from those failures and, and, be able to move on in the operation and take a little risk. And, and we obviously aren't talking about stupid things like mixing pesticide or anything like that. I mean, we're just talking about management type risks. Well, um, yeah, it's the, it's the, when you deal with animals, you're dealing with the unknown. Like we, I got a, we had a two cat, two steers, two 700 pound steers. Um, they went down and died of mycoplasma is what it appeared to be. And then, so I went out there and we ended up, I, pulled a couple tissue samples out of one of them, sent them to the lab and it came back as staff. And the vet called me up and he's like, well, congratulations. This is the first one I've ever seen. And so like, but in livestock, you get these weird oddities. It, it just, it's, and you need to learn how to react to them and you need to learn how to learn from them. And so it's not a, um, yeah, it, it's, it's not that, you know, kind of like you were saying, it's not mixing pesticides. Like, no, there, we have training. There's a way you do that. You don't mix up mixing pesticides. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to work on a piece of equipment, you make sure that the equipment's off and you, you know, the e-brakes on and there's brakes on the tires. If you're doing electrical work, you have to lock out, tag out. Those things are absolute. But when it comes to making mistakes with the livestock, you're dealing with a live animal and you're dealing with uh, fluid conditions. Um, the, the coronavirus is a great example of that. Six months ago, nobody knew what it was. It just appeared, and now everybody's reacting to it. Well, in livestock, you're dealing with similar situations where these oddities are happening, and you have to learn how to adapt to that based on your institutional knowledge, but then also field experience knowledge, and that field experience is making mistakes, and, and that mistakes don't always result in something dying. Mistakes just might mean that something got sick and you had to go back and treat it 
you know, those kind of things. And so it's, it's really a learning curve. And every time I get a chance to ex open my children to some kind of experience of that, I really like, um, I'm curious though on like the age thing, cause, uh, my oldest daughter's 11 and then the other one's nine and then my son's six. And, um, my 11 year old is at the point where she is just starting to be fairly helpful and almost independent, not quite independent where I'd put her out on an irrigation system but at the same time she's capable enough to where she can run a scale she can do some things now and, and that yeah I, I've always heard kind of that 10 11 12 13 is kind of that magic number where they actually become keep really them, uh, sorry to step on you I yeah. want to keep them they're people they aren't animals right yeah but it's a lot of the same principles that a friend has helped me with the bridal horse thing is like, I want to keep them graduating and I want to keep them growing. And then I don't want to demand a hundred percent out of them because if you demand a hundred, they'll only give 85 most times. Yeah. But if you, if you really encourage 85, someday they'll surprise you and it'll be 110, if that makes sense. So, and so, so go ahead. Yeah. Well, so one thing kind of along that line, you said that you were working for your, your dad and you were pushed too hard and you didn't want to have anything to do with the ranch. Well, I was very similar at 13. My, I mean, I was working summers and my grandpa put me out on a hill with Poncho and made me cut stickers and he only spoke Spanish and I only spoke English and we had to spend all day cutting stickers on a hill with a hoe and I didn't want anything to do with the ranch. And, right. and now here I am. And then here you are. And so it's, it's, that's, that's, so what's interesting though is is uh, how things work out. Like I can't I can't say that that if you define what we have right now as as successful, I can't say that was in despite of the lessons learned as a child. I think it's because of those things. Oh, yeah. So it, it thank God that I was able to find a way to reinvigorate my passion for agriculture and reinvigorate my passion for. Um, for the cattle industry. And, uh, but I learned a lot of skills along the way. And so when you were asking about your daughter running the scale and that sort of thing, those kids will really surprise you. Like right now I, I take them a, not as much as I should, but they're just kind of watching and hanging out and watching and hanging out. And they'll be able to draw from those experiences when they need it. And for some of them, like miles a boy of mine, he, he, just gets it he's very athletic um which sometimes that can be a problem with sorting cattle and stuff the athletic people usually kind of move a little too fast but he just gets it he's got it with his show steers he's always got things looking dialed in yeah. whereas bennett's more the thinker he's thinking ahead and he's he's the the one that irrigated for me yeah. at 12 he's thinking of the next thing that i'm going to ask him to do and he's wanting to do it already yeah. and um all that is is drawing from watching for years and years of what we've been doing. And now Meredith, I mean, she's the eight year old. She, she wants to go all the time and it's disappointing to her when I say she can't, but I like taking her to just go feed heifers, yeah. just go feed heifers and just walk through them. And, and when I say feed heifers, we don't have to feed heifers. We're feeding them like two bales of hay just so they come up and then it's, yeah. it's good for the heifers. They learn how, kids are and it gentles them down and stuff so i'm using the kid as a tool too but she's also her favorite is uh 9221 is her favorite heifer and she can describe why it's her favorite one i go through catalogs and magazines and say which one out of this would you pick and why and and so i don't know that there's really too young of an age to start um it's it's kid specific right i mean yeah. that's 
and we homeschool. So it's really awesome for us because on a whim, if I want to take them, I just take them. I mean, it's the greatest education they can learn is with dad and his peers. And so yeah. um, provided they're, they're uh, the kind of people we have the same values with, but yeah. we are probably going to get super windy and not get a lot covered. So I just want to make sure that we're accomplishing everything you want to. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny that, that we're homeschooling, but it's not by choice. So, <laughs> but, um, but so the, um, oh gosh, I had a, you had me jump into something there and I lost it. But anyway, let's, I'll jump into the next question. So what, what kind of do you think is the biggest struggle and the biggest blessing of raising your kids in agriculture in our current modern world when you have so many people not related to agriculture? So when you send me these potential topics, that is the one that probably I struggled with the most because, uh, and I'll get stupid philosophical with you, but like modern world, I would have to ask you to define, are we talking about California or are we talking about modern world? <laughs> yeah, um, it's kind of, kind of both, but definitely, I mean, California drives a lot of the, the cause that's where we're at. Right. And yeah, that's how I'm more, more than like, you know, you could take it political for sure, but it's more about the, you have, uh, I would three generations back, like 70% of Americans had a direct relative that was still working on a farm. Today, it's like 5%. And I think right. it's like 2% of Americans produce 97% of the food or something crazy like that. There's just a huge disconnect between people understanding what farming is. And then, um, uh, you know, it, there's a ton of, you'd look at the studies of people that think milk comes from the grocery store, not from a cow, you know, that almonds can lactate. Um, so many different, <laughs> so many different things that there's just no, you know, and so I'd say that's more the modern world, like the opportunity to expose your kid to a segment of society that people used to all know, but don't know anymore. So we could step back though, Ryan, and say 20, 30 years ago, when we were our kid's age, we were having the exact same conversations because I've yeah. talked to my dad a lot about this and, um, you know, probably the biggest one. And I remember that struggle when I was a kid is why are we working when friends are at the lake house yeah. or why can't we do this? And all of our friends can do this. Yeah. And again, it's, it's maybe just a choice that we make in agriculture. I think, uh, when you get to what's, what's different about the modern world or what's the struggle, at least in California, if I'm going to be incredibly frank, frank, and, and there are outliers, I understand we are so incredibly rich. Everyone is incredibly rich as, as a country. I mean, when, when we talk about globally and we talk about the issues that people have here in this country, um, it pales in comparison to some of the really, really um, suppressed economies that are out there. And so when you think about how rich we are, people don't have to get their hands as dirty as they once did. And we are still the essentials, right? The essential employees, yeah. which I think has driven some of the divide in the COVID dialogue. Um, they're still out working because it still has to get done. And now we're several generations away. It's not that you didn't know where your milk came from. It's that your grandfather might not have known where his milk came from. And uh, so that makes a big disconnect. And sorry, go ahead and chime in on that. because Yeah, I'm no, that, that's a good out. point. We had a long conversation. I had, I had some UC students out and I was talking about, because we were talking about the challenges of agriculture. And, and to me, I, I've thought a lot about this and, and I see it so much more as it's a change. Like 
So we have this ter- you know, we have this difficult situation where people don't know where their food comes from or have those real farm experiences. And it's those experiences that our kids are seeing where it's the, you know, it's not every single calf survives. Not every, you know, it's not, you can give them everything. You can give them perfect nutrition, perfect water, perfect uh, vaccination programs, everything. And you'll still have something not make it like, and it's that understanding, but, but how, how incredibly fortunate are we that we're able to sell into this society that has so much affluency and then look at the tools that that affluency has created. I mean, that cell phone would have been created in a third world or a second world economy. It only could have been created in an American economy because of the affluency that we have. And so it's, it's about learning how to live in it and recognize the positives uh, because you have these negatives of this disconnect and the expectation for the ideal um, without an understanding of the real. But then you also have an opportunity to educate because you have more people reaching out to find how their food is actually grown. The personal relationship with the person growing your food is more important than the quality of the food which is yeah, fascinating, it's right? Especially I mean, you go to a farmer's market and look at the meat that's being sold there and you'll find a lot of no roll meat, right? You know, no grade. It's not even it's not even marbled enough to grade, but they're selling it at a premium because there's a relationship with that farmer. And, and that, that, that experience is more valuable to that consumer. And so what an opportunity we have to educate, and um, interact with the consumer on a level we never have before. And so and frankly, I wanted to add that positive because I was just touching on the negative and that's how I am in general. But <laughs> um, it's probably, it's probably maybe some of the agriculture has taught me that, but yeah. uh, even though we're the eternal optimist, right? Um, but that group of society that you just described that would go and buy that local product or buy that story brand, I actually feel like there's a large percentage of them that are more interested in their food maybe than they've ever been before and more interested in their fiber and they are willing to pay for what they perceive as quality or a story that they believe in. And, and they really can sniff out disingenuous people and they really can sniff out what they perceive as fraud. And so building these relationships, I think tying it back to family values. I mean, what a better way than to teach your kids how to build relationships that are diverse and unique. And, and when you talked about the challenges of California, another thing I wanted to wrap in that was to the modern world, specifically in California, we didn't realize this until November of last year when we were at the Angus convention and some of our very, very best friends from North Dakota were there and we got the opportunity to go to church with them. So we get back to our hotel room that night and my wife says, uh, she goes, did you feel anything interesting about that? And I said, no, and she said, I asked Shana, who's the wife um, in the pairing of friends, and uh, I asked Shana, I said, uh, do you go to church with all of your friends? And she said, yeah, our kids go to school together. We're in agriculture. We go to the same church. We go to the same fair. And in California, our diversity brings some really beautiful things. Yeah. It really does. But as a society, it only really allows us to kind of scratch the surface. Yeah. I mentioned about your other guest host, Dan Macon. I would consider him a very, very good friend of mine, but we don't go to the same church. And then conversely, you, we, if we lived in the same neighborhood, we would go to the same church and be engaged in the same agricultural pursuit, but your children go to a different education institution than mine do. And so 
in California specifically, I think that that's interesting to expose our children to that stuff and, and they gain a lot of um, exposure to diversity. But there are some other things that we're missing out there in the communal sense and really understanding and digging deep and understanding that that person we're ranching right alongside to has the exact same religious beliefs we have. It has the same family values that we have. Uh, the kids are in the same grade school. They're on the same football team, all those things. But in California, we have to move so fast and we're so spread out that sometimes we do miss some of that. But like I said, the, the diversity just provides a unique advantage to our kids, I think. So one of the other questions that really I want to ask is like, how much do you expose your kids to the business side? So, you know, the, the conversations, the, some of the finances, all of those things, how do you, how do you approach that with your kids? So that's an interesting question. I mean, the only way I can answer it is to be honest. And that's, um, I manage Bruin Ranch and um, I'm responsible for a lot of different things. And my boss has weighted me into the financial aspect of it because it's still um, financials that are prepared for him. And, and, uh, and he kind of drives the ship with that regard. And so when it comes to actually how many dollars we gross, how many dollars we net, that sort of stuff, my, my children aren't exposed at all. Now, when it comes to relationship building, I would say that my children are, they're such a part of me and what we do that they're exposed in a large or in a large way to that. I mean, actually, I had a bull customer on the coast uh, say, uh, I had asked him one year, I said, well, you know, why did you spend this kind of money on bulls? I mean, it was, it was crazy what he was spending. And he said, I did it for the little girl right there and for your future. So you need to figure out how to own this thing or I can't spend this kind of money on bulls anymore. And it was kind of a really, it was a really humbling discussion of how important our customers look at our kids as integral parts of this operation. And so when it comes to marketing, um, I really had a hard time for a long time. And, and frankly, that's what brought us to the discussion of me being a part owner and the cows is I, I shared that conversation with the owner and and he absolutely agreed that if you're not careful in my position you're bordering on exploiting your children um, for profit and I never wanted to do that and I never wanted to be deceitful in that regard or, or non-transparent and and the other part is is if my kids raise a bottle calf and and they see the failures or the success of that it was just as dad's an employee and so that's changed over time and it's become different. And it's funny. I say that about bottle calves. Um, there's Veronica and Tyler and, and my daughter is eight years old and raised Veronica and Tyler. And, and I was shocked. She got them halted, broken and everything. And, and this is going to backtrack where we were in our conversation, but I think it's important to touch on. Um, I loaded them in the trailer and I said, well, do I have to keep these things Meredith or what do you think? And she said, Nope, go ahead and sell them. She said, I know that 9221 is better. And some folks would argue that we're desensitizing our children. And I went through this whole part in our life and we were training them to be not compassionate. And I went through this um, at the very first fair our kids showed steers at because we're in this our whole lives. We're dealing with life. We're dealing with death. And then to cross that hurdle of explaining to your kids, well, now you're going to make it basically a pet and you're going to follow it all the way through. And then you're going, it's going to meet its end. And, and where I find the most, um, I find the most, uh, uh, I don't want to say confidence or, or uh, um, I guess the most I get out of is a, a friend of mine shares this. Uh, his name's Trent Luce and he does a lot of this podcasty stuff and YouTubes and stuff. And, and he gets a little more edgy than I do sometimes. But he says, 
death with a purpose gives full meaning to life. And that's something that we always try to instill in our children as, as they're, as they're, as the animal's caregiver, as the, the animal husbandry steward, um, it's our job to give that animal the best life possible where they're with us, but then ultimately understand that they're put here to provide food, fiber, protein, fuel to our economy and to our people. And, and that's their role. And we, we take care of them the best we can and we love them the best that we can. Um, but ultimately understand that we're doing it with a purpose in mind. And, uh, so that's a lot to unpack when you ask me how much do we expose our kids to the business side? I know, but, um, Maybe you can answer that question better. How do you, how do you, have you started with the girls yet? Or are you, are you questioning what's the right time for, for your daughters? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's always a going thing, but how you, um, I think it's, I think it's very easy to incorporate them into the labor side. Um, and I think it's very tempting to, and I, I see a lot of ranches and a lot of people they they do that. They'll, they'll, they'll use their children as a labor source and, and that's why, you know, historically you had these big farming families with a lot of kids. And my grandpa will say it, like uh, my great, great grandfather, Jerome Amy, he had 10 kids and he said it was for labor. No, I, no question about it. And, and there, there's a lot of truth to that. But at the same time, I feel like, especially in the kind of, you get back to that modern world and the affluency that we have as a society now and how I think it's, it is important that they experience that labor side, but I also think it's important to, uh, to expose them to the business sides to, to uh, an extent. And I, and I kind of try to do that through an openness, excuse me, but if they have like a question on um, something, I'll answer 100% honest. I don't hide any of the numbers or the dollars amounts from them. I'm very open with it. I let them know what we're doing. And, and uh, if they ask me how much money's in the checking account, I'll tell them the exact amount. And I don't want them to, uh, you know, I don't want to raise spoiled children. Uh, but then I also don't want to raise naive um, kids that are going to get thrown in the world and not really understand that. And then I think it's also really important to expose them to the business side or to the to relationship side, because there's so much I've learned from conversations with other people, farmers, you know, ranchers like you and Dan and, and a lot of other people around. And so to expose them to those conversations, and it's always impressed me with, we'll have a conversation where I'll just be talking on my the cell phone and the Bluetooth in the truck. And, you know, Michaela will be sitting in the passenger seat, zoned out, staring out the window or playing on her iPad. I think she's not listening. And then three days later, she'll mention something that came up in that conversation be i was thinking about this what is what exactly did they mean by it and i'd just be blown away by how much they absorb just through kind of blanket exposure and i think it's really important to you know building a because you know when you're raising kids your job is to uh, raise a productive member of society you know a good person a, a, you know what, what, you got to get a soul to heaven you know you got to have good good kids. That's what we're trying to do. And in order to create that well-rounded individual person, you really need to kind of, I, I think you have to expose them to as much as you possibly can and then allow them to navigate at their own pace through that. So like, you know, we, I don't put her to work and tell her she's got to cut stickers for 12 hours. I'll take her to work for a couple hours. And, and if she complains a little bit sitting by the scale, then, you know, she'll complain. But if, you know, she's obviously tired and doesn't want to be there, we'll take her home. And I'll continue with the day, but it's, 
I think it is really important that you expose the kind of the business side or the financial side of things. Um, because I do think that's one of the biggest struggles, especially in generation, generational passing of estates and ranches is um, the capabilities of understanding and navigating the financial side of the business is often assumed by one generation and then not successfully passed to the next and they're not fully equipped to take it. And, and that's not saying, you know, it could be two or three successive generations. It just depends on the situation. But I, I think that's really important that we don't just look at our kids as a labor source because that's not what they are. They're our kids. And so you got to, you try you got to build that individual person. And, and I, I think well, I want to backtrack though. Yeah. You can finish if, if you had something else, but I, I wanted to backtrack a little bit to what you were saying about how these, these young people with us, they just seemingly are not paying attention. And then all of a sudden they just pick stuff up. Yeah. I think in society, you know this because you listen to a lot of the podcasts I listen to, there's a, a big buzzword right now is, is intentional. Are we intentional with this? Are we intentional with how we, we teach our spirituality? Are we intentional on how we uh, talk to people in, in, in relationships and then business relationships? I think the part you touched on is that non-intentionally, we cover a lot and the kids pick it up. And, and it's just how... That's probably the benefit in agriculture you and I did not touch on early on. And it just kind of dawned on me, like, if we're surrounded by like-minded ilk of people who are distracted by the same distractions that we have or, or have the same focus that we have, they're listening all the time and they're paying attention all the time. And, yeah. and you know, in the modern world, the biggest struggle I have, frankly, is, is radio shows, but it's become a benefit. The radio shows are not the problem. It's the advertisement we're bombarded with later that <laughs> pick up on and so what an opportunity for me to just shut off the radio and talk to the kids about pedigree so when you yeah. talk about business insight for you and and I mentioned for us I'm kind of the generation coming that's getting past some of that information the institutional knowledge that I have that has value is the pedigree thing for the kids and understanding where the quality in our herd comes from on a pedigree of a cow and understanding how these mating interactions work and so uh, as stupid as it is, we, we, we printed off pedigree binders for the kids. And we started just with the fall cows because that's usually where we give most of the ranch tours during the summer as guys go see the fall cows. They used to be, the, the other cows used to be in Nevada. They're now, that's a point I don't even need to get into. But there's a book and then one of my kids has decided that uh, he cut out pictures of all these famous cows all over the internet and plastered them inside of his pedigree book. If I had it, I'd show you. I don't see it here on my desk. But um, what's funny is, is then when we're out in the pasture and we're looking and I say, this is a prosperity out of 8616, they'll go, oh, well, she's a sister to Torek, dad, isn't she? And, and they just start building that knowledge base. And then it's not drinking a fire hose when you're you know, 20 and ready to take over parts of the business. You've yeah. lived it. You've learned it. You've been part of the culling decisions. I tell them the faults of the cattle. I tell them the strengths of the cattle and they know how we're using these cow families because frankly, if I truly believe in this business, I believe that it's going to transcend my life and other generations. That's what I'm building Bruin Ranch mm -hmm. to do. And I don't want it to miss a beat if I, my time's cut short here, or if I live a long and full life, I, I want, the business to keep going so that my children have the opportunity to raise their children if they so choose in the same manner. Yeah. One of the big things I've been, I, I want to do, or one of my life goals is to make it so it's not dependent on one of my kids taking it. 
I want it to be, I want it to be a opportunity for any kid who wants it, but not dependent on them taking it. And because I've, I've, you know, a lot of times things get forced on kids and they're not, they're not exactly what they want. You know, it's, you know, we're running sheep and you know, if, if the economic conditions or the skill set of the kid doesn't want to run sheep, then they shouldn't be forced to run sheep because if you force it, they will fail. And that will be a failure on your part, not on theirs because you forced it. And so it's really important to, uh, to, you know, look at providing opportunities, not forced um, things. And like the intentionality point that you talked about, I think it's, it's incredible how you can be indirectly intentional. So that's getting really philosophical, but how like I could be intentional about putting her in that car and having her listen to my conversations and make sure that that conversation's on speakerphone, not on my handheld. And I'm not being intentional about forcing her to listen, but I am intentional about having her present. And just that presence will create this, you know, this interest that can get fostered over time into some, some pretty amazing things. And yeah, it's pretty cool. You're, you're, you're making it more than a job then. It's more than something where you're cutting down thistles and you can see that that's, and while you will agree with me that, that those things your grandfather taught you, you still draw from, and they're very important, especially working with employees, because if you're not going to cut thistles, why wouldn't your employees? I mean, it, it teaches you so many things, but this is more than a job. It's a lifestyle and we're choosing. I have this discussion with my buddy, Brad, all the time. I mean, we choose this expensive lifestyle. And why I say it's expensive is because we don't take lavish vacations and we do give up maybe um, a seemingly high paying job. And, and, but we choose this lifestyle because I, I did a corny social media post about it the other day, but it's true. You know, we, we like to say the livestock and the ranch is raised is, is we are raising livestock on a ranch when really it's the ranch and the livestock are raising our kids. Yeah. And, um, there's just something really deep about that. It's a deep connection to the community. It's a deep connection to the land and it's a deep connection to your own spirituality too. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I, I, I think I, it gets back to what, like the first point it's when you get into agriculture, the, 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 uh, the people is what makes it. And it's those relationships that you build over time and the, the, and and that's not to say that everybody in agriculture is perfect. I mean, there's plenty of stories of crooks and bad guys and cattle thieves and sheep thieves. And, you know, you got the cowboy sheep guy wars in the 1800s. And, I mean, there's all sorts of bad situations, but there's a commonality and it's really transcends the world. If you got a bunch of shepherds and, and mountain riding cowboys and put them all together in the room from all over the world, they would all get to, they'd all get along. And there's these, there's these strands that connect and transcend all those cultures and things. And it's a, and it's that understanding of, of life and how things go around and, and the importance of being attentive to little things. And and, and it's just these values that it's really easy to lose in a concrete jungle. But when you get into that, I, I call it the real world, the, you know, you get into that farm and into that ranch and you get into the, the, into nature, you really experience it at a different level. You can't hide from it when you're out there. You go to a city, you can hide from the elements pretty well until an earthquake comes. But uh, you go out into the, to the environment, into nature, 
you experience this raw connection to, you know, to creation. It's just, it, and, and that, that being able to raise your kids in that kind of environment just grounds them in these common, uh, and they're kind of common sense, uh, understandings of how the world works and consequences to your actions. And if you don't, if you don't, uh, check the water trough all the time, there's a chance that it'll run out of water and those animals will get sick and those animals can die. Like there is real world consequences to your actions. And if you're, you know, if you're, uh, processing, uh, applications for something and you don't do all the applications one day, well, the world doesn't stop and those applicants don't all die, you know? <laughs> so it's a different connection. And, and, uh, yeah. So we've, just, talked about, we've talked about this deep connection. I want to go off script just a little bit though. Yeah. Um, we have this deep connection. We've given up this lifestyle. Is it impossible to achieve balance? Does, do we have balance? Does balance mean anything? What, what do you think about the balance thing and how do you vacation or do you vacation or do all vacations turn out as ranch trips? I mean, where are you at on that one? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, We, we vacation. Um, I do, I, I, I do have one hobby of spearfishing which is, uh, so I do sneak out and I do that. Um, but you have to be very intentional about it and you have to, um, you know, it's communication with your family and, and keeping them involved and not, not ignoring them. You know, you gotta, you, you gotta prioritize them above. And really I, we always, we prioritize our families above the ranch. So I got my foreman at the, at the feed mill. He's at the feedlot. He's, uh, his wife's pregnant and they have, she has doctor's appointments twice a week. And so he's working half days, two days a week on salary and we're not cutting any of his, but like, it's fine. He needs to go. That's his, that's his job. I got another guy just had uh, a baby last year and, and, you know, he needed time off to help his wife out and everything. No problem. You know, paid family, take it, go for it. And we encourage that. I, you know, we really do encourage that uh, as a company because I encourage that in my, in my personal life, Jeff's on vacation right now. And, um, you know, thank goodness that Kaylee pushed him to take it. And, um, I've been, I've been very intentional about not calling him at all during the trip. I think I texted him one time and I won't even respond to his texts most of the time, just because I really want him to have that vacation and have that time with his family. And I'm sure he's looking at cows in South Dakota and I'm sure he's cheating a little bit. Well, you say that the only time I text him, I text him on his birthday for the yeah. exact same reasons. For the exact I same. I didn't even message him on his birthday. I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, you're a great boss. <laughs> yeah, horrible. <laughs> but yeah, it just. But it's so important that you find that balance, and that balance is going to be different for every family, and every personality, and every situation. But there, it is important to have a balance, because that fa- that family for me at least that family is more important than the farm so and and i guess i would it's kind of a trick question you answered it very similarly to the way i i wish i was i shouldn't say i wish because it's, it's slighting my parents and it's not fair but i wish i took up more hobbies at a younger age because my cattle have become my hobby they become my job they become my identity they become everything and you just have to think of if, if any point a bad thing well if, if at if any point that's taken from you and you have to cope with that that could be a bad thing potentially right i mean yeah, i don't but know if it's what you love and your passion 
then even if you're even if you lose say you lose your job you'll be able to find another job in the cattle it might not be the it's not gonna be the same but it'll be you you know if that's your hobby your hobby is the livestock and it is working in that field and then that's if you're if your passion is electronics or you know it's it's computer coding and that's your passion that's your hobby you can make a career out of your hobby and if you could do that how much better off are you than the person that's their hobby costs money you know and well so so dan and i've discussed this quite a bit your other co-host and and uh the risk is that your hobby becomes your job yeah and so also could be a reward it is it is because i never feel like i'm going to work right i mean you hear that if you find if you find out how to get paid for your your passion you'll never have a day in your life that you're working yeah and there is i'm sorry about the phone ringing it's one of my kids they're no they're in the back playing poker seriously they're <laughs> my kids oh that's hilarious so you want to talk about values i have no clue what's going on back yeah there. there you go they're wagering they're wagering <laughs> Something, yeah. So hopefully somebody wins a ranch. Irrigation um, hours. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, it, I don't – we're probably just discussing semantics, but um, there, there is value, I believe, in teaching your children to have hobbies outside of what is our lifestyle. And we've tried to expose our children to some different things yeah. that they may enjoy. Um, totally out of character for me. You would, you would sympathize with this. We went to Kauai two years ago for my in-laws' fiftieth, uh, maybe no, not fiftieth. It was a big anniversary. It was yeah. a big anniversary. They took everybody. We had a great time. I fell in love with Kauai. I don't really want the fourteen-day COVID quarantine right now, so we aren't going to go. But um, I never vacationed as a young person. I never vacationed as an adult, and to be able to experience some of that beauty that's in our globe yeah. in different places, or even, <clears throat> excuse me. Even domestically, you know, we went up and, and we went on our tour through Montana. I told you we stopped at Crater Lake in Oregon. My God, what a beautiful, beautiful place. That drive, So did you take, did you come back through Roseburg and glide? That? No, no, I came back through Eagle Point. Okay, well, so if you ever get a chance, the drive from Crater Lake to Roseburg, Oregon is probably my favorite highway in the entire United States. I completely agree. There's a place I stay called the Ilahaley Inn by glide um by north yeah. bank road and glide yeah and uh, i used to put in some embryos with some brothers tom and jim rose there and yeah. they were on north bank road in glide oregon and uh, i'm gilroy but anyways it gets you really off the rails now i i agree with you i love that drive but yeah. to be able to teach my my children that's what i want to do is that it's okay to go enjoy some other stuff besides cattle and yeah, I, I think that gets back to the benefits of this mod. You know, we're talking about the change in the disconnect and all that stuff. Well, look at the opportunities we have to travel. Look at the opportunities Absolutely. we have to visit these places that that you just weren't able to do in the past because you just you didn't have the money and you didn't have the time. But now we're if you prioritize things right, we actually have those opportunities. So Absolutely. I, I agree. 100%. And it's about exposing your kids to as many things as possible to help them find out what they love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's what every parent should aspire to do is to figure out how your kid feels valued and how they feel like they fit in this world as a productive member of society and as a productive member of the community. Absolutely. So final fun question you got down there. Uh, it's what is on your nightstand and what are you reading right now? What do you, it's your, so, um, 
I, I don't want to get too evangelical right now. I'm reading my Bible, obviously sits on my nightstand. I, I, I bounce between Isaiah and John, um, our priest, this other gentleman that I meet with, um, he had told us, he said, uh, he's 70 some odd years old since he was ordained all the way forward. Um, he reads one chapter of John a night his entire life. And, and, uh, I just find so much hope and so much, so much beauty out of that. Um, I also, okay. So shift gears. Um, I read this book right here, the Last philosophy of Master uh, philosophy of cattle raising. So this is the guy that invented beef master cattle keeps me really grounded when we're thinking about, um, we're thinking about the bigger and more excited things when it comes to genomic testing and feed efficiency and all this voodoo stuff. Well, Tom Laster is the one that admitted the beef master breed. And basically he had a three breed rotational cross that he just said, they're going to have to go survive. And then when he pushed them to the kind of cattle he liked, then he said, well, um, he had some get pink eye and a bunch of flies on him. He said, I'm not going to fly spray anymore. I'm going to get rid of everything that doesn't have, that has pink eye. And then he said, uh, then he wasn't going to deworm anymore and on all these things. And, and I'm not saying we have to go that far when it comes to cattle. It's a very expensive way to go. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. but it does help keep yeah. me grounded when we're thinking about all these things. And then it just has me go, we're still just raising cattle and we're still raising cattle. They need to go out and harvest protein or harvest, harvest forage and convert it to protein and pounds for our commercial customer. And then uh, lastly, this book's pretty interesting, the basis of line breeding. Uh, and uh, why would I be listening to line breeding? Well, there's, there's ways that you can weave in your own cow families and you can actually line breed. I used to think, uh, I remember answering this like a smart aleck on a beef final. It said, describe the difference between line breeding and inbreeding. And I said, line breeding is when you do it and inbreeding is when your neighbor does it. And uh, so <laughs> I, actually you can, you can line breed cattle and stay on your lines without having any regression. And yeah. so uh, um, really intriguing books. How about you? What do you read? What do you enjoy? Oh gosh. Uh, for sheep books, um, well, I'll save sheep books for the end, but, um, so I got the Bible on my nightstand that I read right now. I've been in the book of Daniel. Um, it's just, it's always a good, good read. Um, and then, um, the book that I'm enjoying right now is a book called the power of silence by Cardinal Robert Sarah. And it's absolutely phenomenal and really applicable to the, to the times of today. It talks about how important it is to actually take time, take a breath, listen to how people are talking rather than responding and, and really trying to connect, um, you know, just calm yourself. And in, in this world of noise that we constantly live in, it's a, it's a really refreshing read and I really enjoy that. But then for a livestock book, um, the number one book that I read all the time is a practical guide to sheep management by Norman, uh, Norman something. I don't have the book in front of me and I can't remember his last name, but it's just, it's a really good, it was written in the seventies. And so they didn't have any drugs really uh, for the sheep. They had a little LA and penicillin and that was about it. And so it's, it's really a, it's a practical approach to these problems that we face all the time. And so it really has some good kind of that historical traditional knowledge written in there about how to treat things when you don't have access to a lot of stuff. It's really easy to just jump into a, you know, something sick, give it an antibiotic type of mentality. And so to be able to have that and implement that has been pretty, pretty good. Um, and then I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, ahead. go for it. No, are you a podcast guy or not a podcast guy? I love podcasts. So other than sheep stuff, you should know. Yeah. 
and there's your plug. Uh, what other podcasts you listen to right now? <laughs> I, I listen to, uh, I listen to, so I stole the name from Catholic stuff. You should know. And I listen to that one. Um, and then I listen to the Catholic man show and then the art of manliness. Um, I don't listen to a lot of industry ones. Um, cause I can't find many. Um, and then, uh, and then the other book that I was going to say is there's, uh, James Rebanks. He's coming out with a brand new uh, book, kind of a, a, he wrote a shepherd's life, which is a really good story of just raising livestock in, in England. And, um, so he's coming out with kind of a follow-up book. I'm not sure when it drops, but um, I'm really looking forward to that one when it does. That's that's going to be a pretty good read. The last book was just, it's hard to find writers that can really capture the mindset of uh, agriculturalist or rancher or farmer and what we're really thinking because you talked about it a lot. Uh, our job raising livestock, a lot of people think when you're raising livestock, you're raising food. So you're looking at it constantly as food. Our job as as ranchers is to raise livestock is to keep them alive give them the healthiest best life possible we are not we are not in the the slaughtering business we sell them to a packing house and they do that work for us we are our job is the livelihood of that creature and and that's that's a different mindset than what a lot of projected ideas on what people think are i mean it's it's we've got a pretty awesome story to tell it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's the foundation of society. Is yeah, absolutely. 100%. So uh, podcasts. I'll, I'll share with you a couple podcasts I found, and and this ties into your in being intentional while not being intentional thing with kids. Um, I listen to Business Wars actually, and I try to make sure that I listen to pieces of them before. Um, usually, it's pretty good around the kids. It's there's there's nothing too racy or anything like that. But we were listening to. Um, Walmart versus Amazon, which is fascinating, right? Yeah. And uh, and then we listen to Wrigley Gum and something else. We listen to a couple, and we're driving along, and and uh, my my ten year old, he says uh, he went to the feedlot with me to look at some bulls, and he says, uh, Dad, all these stories are kind of the same. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, They all have a crappy product, but the guys that are good marketers are the ones that end up winning. And I went that's kind of profound for a kid to learn. Right. And, and he wasn't yeah. entirely right. And then after listening to these podcasts, the other thing that he said, there was recently a bull that, uh, an Angus bull that sold for $1.5 million two years ago. And it was a big <laughs> deal. Right. And, uh, so miles says to me, he says, uh, we're listening to the podcast. And, and as a child, he's, he's really interesting because he'll say, dad, and he'll, he'll wait. He's very intentional and very, he wants to get to this point. Whereas my other children are pretty abstract like me and just go on and on and on, but he wants to get to the point. And it is, so I turn off the radio and he said, if that bull who's going to remain nameless was on the other side of that ridge over there, would you drive over a trailer? Even if it was easy, would you drive over and get him? And I thought, you know what? His mind's going somewhere. So I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to say, well, I said, well, what do you, what would you do miles? And he said, I don't think you would load that bull up if he was right here. And I said, well, why don't you think that? And he said, he's not your program and he's not your story and he's not what we do. And so it doesn't really fit us. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you talk about a 10 year old surprising you and really getting everything that you yeah. are trying to do as a person and having values. And, and I guess if you measured success in a business for me, it's not, 
and, and I shouldn't say in a business, um, I should say in this business, if I've got my kids to understand things like that, I'm a successful person. I believe. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Success isn't measured in money. It's measured in your family. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for joining today. I, I really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, enjoyed the, uh, guest host. Uh, um, I think uh, I'm really looking forward. One of these times we're going to get you and Jeff to sit down and talk genetics and I'm sure it'll, 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 uh, it'll drop into a conversation on cattle genetics, which will be disappointing for some viewers, but what the heck will uh, you guys know so much on that side of the business. I, I just, I, I really would love to have you guys sit down and go into that and be able to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. But appreciate you taking time out of your day. Appreciate everything you do for, we buy some of your bulls at Bruin Ranch. They're absolutely phenomenal performers for us. We love the the program direction and we love the family values that we share. And, and uh, just, yeah, it's great to have industry partners like you floating around. And so, so, so I am a good guy, but I do have a big ego. So be yeah. sure to let me know how the ratings go on this. And, and yeah, no, it'll be, it'll I'm also pretty competitive. So I want to make sure that I've, that I've got better ratings or at least the same as Dan Macon. Yeah. Well, so we had Dick Amy last week, so you're probably not going to beat him. He, he, he crushed it. So I'm we'll sure have to go back and watch that one. Actually, I heard it was incredible. So. That was fun. It was fun. Awesome. So. Well, take care. And it's, uh, it's great to visit. And I look forward to going down and, and looking at some cattle and spending some time there here in the next couple weeks. Yeah. Anytime, you know where to found us, Joe. Thanks for All joining. Right.